0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we talk about some of the big trailers out of Comic-Con. China bombs big with the big feature, Azura. Uh, some Tarantino talk about doing Trek. Herman Yao and Andy Lau are at it again, building another huge set. Some Toronto film news and our reviews this week. Godzilla, City on the Edge of Battle, and Skyscraper. East. West. 3. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk inside a wind turbine on the giant Building the Pearl is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hey there, everyone. Hey there, Paul. How's it going?
0: All right. How are you doing, sir?
1: Uh, not bad. Pretty busy. Um, yeah.
0: Very busy. The, very know. busy indeed. Uh, for for <laughs> listeners who have not uh, yet seen it, uh, CNN commentator Kevin Ma, right? That's your new oh, title. Oh,
1: now, now, now. <laughs> also, BBC, by the way. Yes,
0: yeah, BBC too. so uh, the yeah. international correspondent or pundit? I don't. I don't know if you're considered a pundit unless you're talking politics. But film is political, as we've talked about,
1: so. Well, when CNN wants to talk about Chinese film, you know it's probably a political thing. Like, um, well, we will talk about the story a little bit later. But it was a surreal experience. for those who don't know what's going on. Last week, um, I got call. I got a call from CNN International. They have a office here in Hong Kong. I should have a studio here in Hong Kong. A very small studio, uh, and they run their uh, international. Uh, CNN International runs their weekday nightly live uh, news show here in Hong Kong. And they were they called me up. Uh, a friend recommended me to talk about um, a story that we're going to talk about in a little bit later. Um, and and, and they, they, you know, I had to sort of cut a dinner short and they got me out to the studio uh, and did a little spot, a little two, three minutes. But actually, right after I got the CNN call, BBC World Service, the radio came um, and asked me to comment on the same story. Um, so, after I did CNN, I went straight out to uh, BBC's office. They also have an office here here in Hong Kong because this is where they run their Chinese news service. They have a little radio studio room. Um, I was quite impressed by the setup, by the way. Um, and, and I did a little another two, three-minute um, thing on BBC about the same story. So, that was all in one night. It was a pretty crazy night.
0: That's excellent. And it was really great to to see you on the, the big screen, as it were, as I projected it up onto my Television to to watch your segment. Um, Oh God! A little bit, little bit surreal to you know when you when you think about it. But um, that's that's excellent news, and it's really very proud to see that uh, little baby Kevin is up in the big leagues uh-huh. now. So, um. I have a
1: face for radio, Paul, I would say.
0: <laughs> well, me, sir, more so than you, sir. I think if a CNN ever, <laughs> ever called me, I'd say, I think you're going to need a bag for, for my head
1: uh, or something. So. You could hear I, I did much better on BBC. I was more comfortable on radio because when you're doing CNN thing, when you do, because it was, okay, so they played it like I was on satellite somewhere, right? Right. But I was actually in, the, in a room right next door to where they were doing the show.
0: Right. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: So I was right next door in this little isolated room right behind the panel. Um, They closed the door and there's no one behind the camera. I'm in the room by myself. And it's just and they're like three different lights. So you can't even see the lens of the camera and try to look straight into this dark abyss where the lens they tell you is. And it was a bit, and then you have a headset, and the headset, you know, overlapping voices, and it's live TV, and just, like, quit panicking. It's like, oh, my God, like, do I need makeup? Like, do I need to fix my hair? My hair was a bit messy. Um, And you're just like, do I need makeup? Like, why didn't they even give me makeup? Why just, why just throw me on a TV? Oh, my God, my pimples. And, and then I was just <laughs> nervous. Yeah. It and didn't show. It, it a,
0: didn't really show once you got into a groove uh, of it, so.
1: Oh, well, then 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 I got into BBC and what, once I sat in front of a mic and I didn't have to face anyone, and it was just me talking to a mic, it was just like, okay, you, I, you, I, can't, I can't
0: have done this. Were you talking to a person on that?
1: I was talking to a person in London who was doing the show live, who okay. was reporting the anchor over uh, in London doing the news live, and it was a live interview. I mean, you can't tell because the, the studio is, you know, there it's a perfect, perfect, um it's a radio studio, and, and I think they do it by satellite whatever, and there's no delay. So, but then, you know, I was much more comfortable because I'm used to doing this show. I'm talk- used to talking to a mic and I'm used to not facing anyone. Um, I was wearing pants, I would say. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I just got to sort of sit closer to a mic and sort of sit. And I got the stats loaded up on my phone so I don't have to worry about, you know, I can have a cheat sheet in a way. So it was just much more comfortable doing radio. I love, and I like doing it better but yeah it was it was surreal night i mean
0: very cool well do check that out we've put up links in uh, facebook ah! before and we will be putting them up on the show notes uh as well Ah! and uh, i'm
1: never watching it i am (laughs) never watching it i still haven't watched it i am never watching it
0: all right so yeah we're here to talk about uh, that and also some other stuff that's kind of come out over the past week before we get into our big news uh this was the week of san diego comic-con I think, Um, Mm -hmm. and that's really, like, considered, between that and New York, those are, like, the two really big, big ones now. And a lot of movie news tends to generate around those two. The thing is, is there's so many Comic-Cons and uh, conventions now that happen all over the United States, it's hard to keep track. Just here in Florida, um, we had one, a pretty big one, Uh, A couple weeks ago, I didn't go to it, but it was down in Fort Lauderdale and I had some friends who went and, you know, pretty big names down there from, you know, people like John Barrowman and, and others to, um, you know, people who do smaller things like in anime, they do voiceovers and pretty much you have a convention going on someplace in the state almost every weekend. Uh, That's the scope of convention going now. But San Diego remains... The big one, right it's it's the, the the huge one where you have a major presence by all the big studios and big names uh, really big celebrities coming out to do panels and things like that and uh, general nerdy craziness. So we had quite a few big trailers uh, coming out of Comic-Con. The one well, that at least on my newsfeed seemed to get the most buzz though is one we're going to talk about in a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say all of them were Warner Brothers, <laughs> you know, because the big the big studio um, Disney skipped. Right. So Marvel skipped. No Star Wars. Um, so it was that what there was that whole the, the in that whole flux of trailers coming out on one night. Right. Like right. It was all from Warner Brothers. It was uh, like you said. So the ones you're talking about is uh, what Godzilla,
0: uh, Godzilla, um, Shazam. Yeah. Um,
1: Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. um, yeah. And then Harry Potter. Yeah, they're all from from one studio. So it was a bit... I I, I found it a bit quieter than usual, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, perhaps. um, There was also, of course, some stuff going on in the... You know, some TV release stuff, um, but we won't get into that here. But like I said, I guess the one that was perhaps predominant for my news feed, the one that seemed to be generating the most buzz, buzz was the Godzilla King of Monsters trailer, um, which seem to excite a lot of people fans and just moviegoers goers in general just because of the way it's kind of put together the music they use um, it's it's a really solid trailer uh, as trailers go I would say uh, I'm certainly excited but um, you know again it's one of those things where did did they preps, you know show all the best parts <laughs> well <laughs> let's hope not um, so but yeah it gives me something to look forward to at least for uh, the next year.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure that that Claire Delune is not going to make it in the final film, but whoever decided to do that, in for the Godzilla trailer, that was freaking brilliant, I have to say. Yeah, it's um. it,
0: it's it works really well. It's just the way they've paced it and put it together. I think it, you know, it works really well, and it shows you just enough of the things that are coming in it. Um, and of course, people have already done stop motion freeze frames and started you know pointing out and analyzing uh, specs in the background and who's this and who's that and what you know uh are we getting two of this kaiju and and things like that um and i think for for me i'm kind of done i don't want to see any more trailers uh, because i don't you know i really don't uh, want them to over reveal too much so that tends to be the case with a lot of trailers these days especially ones that are you know very early out but um you know i think so far the buzz has been pretty positive and like i said uh, i'm excited for this uh more so than perhaps another godzilla we're going to be getting released in about another six <laughs> months but we're going to be getting into that a
1: little bit later
0: any other thoughts on anything that you saw coming out of those uh comic-con trailers
1: um, well, it was too bad that Marvel skipped? because I mean, they have a big year next year. They have Captain Marvel coming. They have, of course, I guess they can't review too much because Infinity Wars Two, or whatever they're gonna call it, hasn't hasn't come out yet, or they can't they don't want to review anything just yet. So they decided to skip.
0: I think with the Marvel Disney stuff, um I'm not sure when it happens, but they've got their big event, which is what d twenty three yeah, and yeah. I, my guess is is that going forward, Now that they have um, Marvel, they have Star Wars all under their belt, um, they're probably going to be saving the big stuff for that, you know, for their own sort of intellectual property convention, as it were. They did have a trailer, though, for the animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars, which um, I was a big fan of that series, and that series was in its last season, cut short by about a dozen episodes. And that happened because of the Disney acquisition of the Star Wars property. And since then, of course, they have run to completion Star Wars Rebels, and that was a very well-received series, too. And Dave Filoni, who's kind of been the overseer of all of that, has gotten a lot of praise for all the good work and, and the writing that's gone into those shows. Many people saying that, they're even better than the writing that you see in the prequel films which i'm kind of on, on board with that um, some of some of these story arcs are just much better than anything in the prequels and so now what they've done is they've given him the go-ahead to go back and kind of retell those uh, final 12 stories so it's not a complete new series of seasons that we're getting it's just allowing them to and the team to sort of finish up um, what they had planned out, which is basically taking the Clone Wars series right up to the beginning of the third film, uh, Revenge of the Sith. So I'm very excited to see uh, where they go with that. And again, I'm a big fan of both of the series. There's still, though, um, as I understand it, in production, a new animated series that's supposed to be coming, which takes place after... Return of the Jedi, but before the force awakens, so um, I believe that's still um, good to go they're still doing production pre-production stuff on that
1: as well so so which network is going to show the new Clone Wars?
0: the new Clone Wars is going to be on the Disney platform starting in two thousand and nineteen when that launches so oh, th- this was God. this was this was another thing that, like I said, TV stuff was pretty predominant, so you've got Disney announcing this is going to be a sort of premiere thing for them um cbs all access highlighted the second season of star trek discovery which is exclusive in the united states to their platform but not for international people it's considered a netflix original so you Yay. all get to see it <laughs> uh, without having to pay and well without having no, to pay for pay an adi- for additional <laughs> additional platform i would say like we in the u.s um, and then uh dc Warner is also launching their own platform, I guess, later this year or next year. I forget the title, it's like DC something, and basically all the DC stuff is going to go there. Um and they're launching Wolpe
1: is going to is going to have a real dark title. It's going to be really dark. Yeah. Well, and if you've ominous. seen
0: the the, the 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 series that they're launching as an exclusive original on that is Titans. Which right. is um, you know sort of a, a, a TV version retelling of the the Teen Titans series, and the big thing on that is in the trailer the they have uh, Robin drop an F bomb about Batman, so ooh, <laughs> it was like oh they're they're really edgy, um, and that whole F bomb thing we'll come back to and we'll talk a little bit about the news in just a minute. But yeah, so you've got Disney launching their platform I think in fall of 2019, uh, DC's platform is coming and it's not just going to have the Titans I I guess like all the DC content like all the DC animated movies that they do uh, Gotham by Gaslight Batman Ninja all that stuff um, will be going there and exclusively Uh, you know you should still be able to buy it on Amazon and iTunes but as far as uh, being part of a platform that'll be there and I'm guessing the DC movies will go there I'm not sure how it's going to affect the CW shows like The Flash and Supergirl and Arrow, the Arrowverse and all of that. And, but I'm assuming that's all gonna end up going there instead of going to Netflix once the Netflix contracts run out as well, because why would they, why would they not do that? Um, so yeah, uh, it's gonna be the battle of the platforms. And I mean, as much as I love Star Trek, I didn't subscribe to CBS All Access. I didn't watch Star Trek Discovery until I got abroad and I could get it on Netflix. And I watched it that way. Um, I don't know if a single series is enough to pull people over. As much as I love the Titans, and I'm a huge fan of Teen Titans Go, a dark, gritty, foul-language Titans, eh, it's not super appealing for me and definitely not enough to pull me over to pay a subscription for a a service like that. Um, But the Disney one, I think, is the one that's going to get me. Not, Not only am I just a big Clone Wars fan, but they're going to have all the marvel content they're going to have all the star wars content and any new star wars shows live action or animated will end up there but i'm as we discussed before i'm hopeful that they'll just have the entire disney archive up there and if they have that you know including all the disney tv shows and everything like that um that's a massive amount of you know content new and old that will be there and that seems like it might Be enough for me to want to pay a subscription, um, especially with kids. Uh, But potentially,
1: uh, there's also uh, there's also Fox, right? Fox. If the Fox sales go through, there's a chance that Disney will probably claim all that stuff and put it on their platform as well.
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean Disney will be massive, and I mean I can see them giving Netflix a run for their money. Amazon, I don't think has to worry too much. I mean they are doing original stuff, but they're they're just not as appealing to me. But if you're in the states, you have Amazon because of streaming stuff and free shipping for international users it's it's just not a good a good value usually so i don't think i think their model is a little bit different they don't have to worry but i really think it's going to come down to between big choices between netflix and disney in the years to come i don't think the smaller networks are really going to have the content there to to keep people on long term i think you'll get hit and runs you know a person signs up for a month for cbs to marathon star trek the new season and and then they drop it Um, but with, um, Netflix and Disney, I think you'll have a lot of original content where I think Netflix is going to have to play a bit of catch up is really trying to get more family titles on there once they lose Disney and the loss of Marvel that might hurt them. Uh, you know, because they do have the exclusive rights to the daredevil stuff, the Luke Cage stuff and, you know, going forward, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that contractually. That's enough rambling about uh, everything that came out of San Diego Comic-Con. So, as we normally do, let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin at his news desk with this week's news.
1: So here at the news desk, um, I guess the first story we should talk about is uh, Asura, this this Chinese movie that, had, that got me on um, CNN and BBC. Uh, what is the story? Um, so this film called Asura, it's... They claim that they have a hundred million dollar budget, U.S. dollar, not not hundred million yen. Um, hundred million dollar U.S. budget um, with big, you know, fantasy special effects. They have a uh, Kareena Lau and Tony Leung, neither of which really demand money that would lead up to a hundred million dollar budget. Um, but anyway, the film apparently cost hundred million, and. Um, but it opened last weekend, or two weekends ago, um, against um, Zhang Wen's latest film, which was a very, very bad idea, if you ask me. And the film flopped. It only made um, about 50 million RMB, um, which is about 7 million US. And so the distributor um, pulled the film after three days. Uh, So it was a huge flop, um, and that was why, apparently, it it was on uh, Hollywood Porter, and I guess when the Western media covers Asian cinema or Chinese cinema, when something funny happens to Chinese cinema or something amusing happens, they like to sort of um, get in there and, uh, and and join the crowd, I suppose. But yeah, that to me is a non-story, really. Yeah, films flop all the time. You know, I mean, look at King Arthur. You know, no one did. Okay, yeah, the film blocks it up bunch your stories, but it's not like CNN was going to get someone. A, a a box office expert to come in and talk about why Guy Ritchie's King Arthur flopped. Um the the big news I guess is that the the, the producers decided to pull the film after three days which was very, very weird reason. They say that they're gonna re edit the film and bring it back to cinemas, but it already has such bad word of mouth and pulling it after three days and now making, you know, international news just makes things worse. So um other than that to me is kind of a non story. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting story just in in terms of the scope. I think that's the only reason it it popped up on some people's radar. But, I mean, it's not new. Uh, The the first thing that came to my mind was the 2009 film Empires of the Deep, right? Which is, if you're not familiar with that title, it was another really big budget production for the time. It was supposed to be China's version of Avatar, basically, in terms of scale and, you know, use of technology and, and all of that. And you can find lots of pictures and still shots from that film, but I don't think you can find the film because I don't think it's ever been released in any way, shape, or form. Um, Kevin, you can correct me if I'm incorrect on that. But, you know, it's, again, this stuff happens all the time um, to various degrees. There are so many movies that come out in China that nobody ever hears about in you know not just because they you know have super production but stuff starring hong kong actors you know stuff starring people that uh, if you follow hong kong film you'd recognize and you might want to see but you can't see it because for whatever reason it was a tiny production or it didn't get good distribution or you know it's distributed internally but not externally and it just never really filters out right
1: yeah, I mean, the thing is, like you said, China's making so many films, and a lot of these times when they talk about these big films, it all, a lot of it is just blowing smoke, and you look at the talent behind it, it's like, I don't know that guy, I don't know that guy. Like the Asura crew, okay, they got the costume designer from Lord of the Rings, and then they had like a cinematographer from Mexico who did a few Hollywood films before, but nothing that really that big. Um, but they bring all these people and then they blow smoke and they talk about how much of an effort it was. Um, Sina did a very interesting story because the film had about 20 investors and the story broke down the, the background of most of the investors. So Alibaba, which I guess, you know, um, it's a big company, not really shady. But then you, but then once you look past that, there are a bunch of uh, investment firms or uh, firms that give out loans, like, you know, like, like regular like um, consumer loans. And he was like, why are these guys investing in movies? Really, really are. I'm not going to say anything like definitive, but there's a bit of weird funding issue there looking at that film. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, not even people in China heard about the film. I mean, that's probably why it flopped, because no one's heard of it, because the film doesn't have any real attractive talent. Yeah, but Kareem, Lau, and Tony Leung, but those guys don't make big openings. Those guys are solid presence in, in good movies and bad movies too um, but do they attract uh, a sizable box office following no not at all to think that they could they could make a movie that would make back a hundred million US um, with Karina Lau and and Tony Leung Kafai fai not even Tony Leung Ka-fai? Not, not <laughs> Chi-Wai fai not Chi-Wai I have to say yeah if it's if it's Karina Lau and Tony Leung Chi-Wai then yeah like of course we will see it but I'm sorry, is Tony Um So it was—it's a very odd case, um, and and like i said the producer did a very weird thing after this whole news came out he came out and he was very defensive the film was just no problem with the film it's uh the website um some website um sent or my, a competing film sent out like malicious uh bots to give bad reviews of my film or i pay people to give bad reviews for my film and he said very interesting quote like give me another 20 u.s million dollars and i could do better than hollywood um so which again it's very typical of chinese producer that kind of smoke blowing attitude and the thing is um many producers say it but very few of them actually you know do what they say uh or what we say walk to walk talk to talk yeah um so then this guy does not appear to be one of those guys uh so yeah odd story all round. but to me it's just like oh well, it's just another film that flopped i mean you bring out um what was that movie the the peter pan movie that warner brothers made pan right and you look at that that movie lost more money than asura did but no one is making you know no one remembers that movie so i doubt anyone remember asura after a couple months
0: yeah i mean i'm interested to see see it if there's ever a finished product that gets released to video and i mean we look at these sort of overblown fantasy style productions that come out all the time. I guess, were they trying, because I've only seen a couple stills, but it kind of, in terms of production design and everything, were they trying to go for sort of the Monster Hunt, Monster Hunt 2 demographic?
1: Well, no, I think they were trying to go for the Lord of the Rings demographic, which is even weirder, because if you look at the top grossing films in China, like in history, there isn't much room for fantasy movies. Um, They, people in China, audience in China, tend to like, modern films more you look at um operation red sea wolf warrior 2 the one the film that's a hit now which is um dying to survive um and and you look at that list except for maybe monster hunt 2 which is set in an undis- un- unspec- unspecified period anyway it's not a big deal um many of, I mean, chinese audiences tend to like to watch modern films stuff like period stuff don't really attract as much audiences as they think so yeah, it's it's a bit. Of course, the sh- the tastes are always shifting in China, but um, you have big data to prove that like yo, these movies they don't really drag pull in an audience the way that um a Wolf would or a uh, or a Ning Hao movie would or a Shu movie like Lost in Thailand would, right? Um, because they like something that that's more closer to their lot li- to their to their to their lives. Um, so yeah, it was a very ill devised idea if 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 it is uh, or a misconceived project to me at best.
0: All right. Speaking of misconceived projects,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> am, am I, am I, uh, am I letting my inner Trek nerd out here? Um, yeah, this is a bit of news that's being passed around. And I guess I, again, I don't know how much true validity there is to this, but uh, apparently Zachary Quinto, who, you know, plays the role of Spock in the JJ Abrams reboot of the Star Trek franchise is on record as saying that, yes, Tarantino is going to be doing, directing the next uh, Star Trek movie, uh, Star Trek something. Now, Well,
1: there's another Star Trek movie first. There's a four, a Star Trek four, and then after that is Tarantino.
0: Okay, so yeah. Star Trek five, I guess, um, it, it, he's set to do it. Now, what that means, I'm not too sure. And because, again, it's so far out and things like this change all the time, but just the concept of, all right, if this goes through and he directs and he's directing an official intellectual property Star Trek franchise, as in, say, Star Trek V, with the cast and crew, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, all those guys. I'm just thinking, why? Because um, he the, the, the part that's attached to the news is that, yes, it will be rated R. You know, so full-on Tarantino. But I'm not sure what the point is, because... He's a very stylistic director. He has his own style. He has a a mode regarding film and the context of film that he works in when he makes movies. And that's fine. Bringing him to an established property that's a family-oriented property primarily uh, with the Star Trek franchise, some would argue that, yes, okay, it's time for something new with Star Trek. But really, is it? I mean, they put uh, Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access, which I talked about before and they've already dropped the f-bomb in that series so that was a first you know somebody saying the f-word in star trek does it happen sure is it supposed to happen i don't know i mean this is again supposed to be a, a more family friendly at least in terms of the vision of of gene roddenberry you know something that came from tv made its way into films can be a bit more mature at times but still going into the realm of art i mean and it had me thinking you know What is Tarantino going to bring? Um, He's known for language. He's known for dialogue. He's known for, at times, excessive violence. Do we need that in, in a Star Trek franchise? Is that going to add anything to a Star Trek franchise? And when I think about it in terms of the core cast, the core characters that people know and recognize, again, your Kirk, Spock, McCoy, that kind of thing, I just don't see it being necessary. Now, if you said to me, Tarantino's going to come and direct a movie set in the Star Trek universe um, about something new. He's going to do, follow, you know, it's going to be about a Klingon crew. Then I say, yeah, okay, extreme violence would follow that story well. Or he's going to follow a Romulan crew, right? Um, And and something along those lines where it's a different look inside the universe, sort of like Gareth Edwards and uh, Star Wars Rogue One, right? Where you get not really an R rating, but you get a darker look. It's not the, it's not the the clean, crisp heroic side of things that were always kind of being shown. So I I just don't know. I mean but again, I'm I'm a bit biased because of my inner Star Trek nerd. So Kevin, what is your thought on this?
1: Uh wow. Uh well I'm not tricky, first of all. I, I do like the Star Trek films, uh all the way from going back all the way to uh first contact and you know, so I've seen different crews. Um and I watched a bit of Discovery um Otherwise, not a huge Trekkie. And even then, I still don't want Tarantino to do this. Um, You know, there are filmmakers that are right for certain things, and they aren't. Tarantino did an episode of ER, and he was... was, I remember it was a good episode. Um, But it was before he, like, he let fame get to him and still made things that, you know... Still made things following certain... You know, like, you know, ER, when you do... er or something like that there's a bible you have to follow there's a style and and you know and and i think he was still pretty well behaved um i guess that you know cool tarantino is unleashing his inner geek but um does it really match Is, is does the filmmaker really match the project probably not i don't think so um Star Trek is a show about peace and it's about, yeah, it's about war as well There's war in it as well, but it's about these people who are trying to attain peace and, and they're doing it through science and they're doing it through intelligence and it's a nerdy show and it's a very geeky show. And in fact, I was never a big, I, I like the JJ Abrams movie, but I feel like they sort of deviated from what I have or what, you know, the, the other Trek series are doing. Um, even Star Trek Discovery, yeah, it has moments of like big special effects and action and stuff like that. At the end, it's still a bunch of people really talking a lot about science, right? Even that show. Um, and and in that sense, Star Trek Discovery, uh, I, I think, does follow um, the style of the of the series. I don't think they need you need Tarantino to do that, um, and it's pretty much confirmed that he's going to be working on him he's making another film right now so he's not going to be working on this until um next year at the earliest which means probably not until 2020 or 2021 um and you know a lot of things can happen between now and 2020 um but i i don't really want to see, it feels like uh, uh which it, it feels like a marketing committee going, hey, all rated versions of franchises are doing really well right now. I'm guessing everyone wants all rated versions of every franchise possible. Let's do one of Star Trek. And it seems like such a, such a marketing committee decision mm. rather than an artistic decision and something that, you know, is right for the show. But, you know, of course, I think that sometimes fans um, should hold an open attitude to certain things. And, um, and as, as much as I do, don't want or don't think that tarantino should do it, it, it i am intrigued that what what he's going to do with it maybe it's not going to be r-rated maybe he's going to follow the the canon even better than jj abrams because you can never tell what tarantino's going to do he maybe he doesn't just want to do his thing maybe he wants to he wants to do what he thinks is a star real star trek movie and then maybe he'll end up pleasing the fans so Um, I would say let's just hold on and wait till get closer to when he actually does something and let's see what he's going to do and let's see how he does it. And then we can whine and moan and blah, blah. Um, yeah, (laughs) good advice. Good advice.
0: All right, let's get back over to some Hong Kong news with uh, Herman Yao and Andy Lau.
1: Yeah, so Andy Lau seems to have a thing for building things when he produces movies. Uh, if you remember, uh, for Firestorm, he had the crew sort of rebuild part of Central, a whole block of Central, for the climactic uh, gun battle. And then for Shockwave, he had the crew uh, build a replica replica of the uh, Hong Kong uh, Harbor Tunnel. And then now for the White Storm Two, um, they just they just ex- they revealed that um, the crew spent six weeks building a one-to-one scale of central MTR station. Uh, so the the set was unveiled on uh, Sunday, but there was a day before they were going to dismantle the set. The set was built in um, the Tak Ferry Terminal, which says a lot about the Tak Ferry Terminal, because apparently it is so underused that they could let a film crew uh, build... An entire subway station, and they're probably not, probably without the platform. I don't think it has a platform, but it has the the what I call it? The lobby. It has a ticket gate. It has a Seven Eleven. It has an escalator going downstairs. And I assume they have to do this because they can't apply for permit to shoot in the Rio Central MTR. And you can't apply to shoot in the Rio Central MTR because you're probably going to be doing a major action set piece in there. Um, a film, but then actually, Cold War Two did shoot in. Uh, saying poon's uh, mtr station and it was a thing with an explosion although i guess they used a cgi explosion but that was a pretty sort of a big action sequence and they used it just fine it was actually on the train platform even um but then it seems like uh andy lao decided that it's not even worth trying to apply instead they would just spend the money to to build it but i don't know this is some kind of a psychological pattern or something that you could tell paul from this andy lao building fake things for his action movies um yeah, what do you think? Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, hey, I'll watch it. Uh, I guess <laughs> more, more of course,
1: we'll watch it. More to the question, though, is,
0: I mean, Andy, neither Andy Lau nor Herman Yao were involved with Whitestorm one, right? Yeah. So, so is this? I mean, is this just in name only, or is 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 because well, the- who was it? Benny Chan was on Whitestorm Storm.
1: Yeah, it was Benny Chan, and the original cast was Nick Cheung, Andy, uh, no, not Andy, sorry, um, Nick Cheung, uh, Louis Koo, um, and uh, Lao Cheng Wan. But here it's just gonna be uh, it's gonna be Louis Koo, Andy Lau, and Michael Mew. and uh, <laughs> another cast includes uh, Chrissy Chow, and I think uh, Cherry Yang's also in it. Um, uh, oh, Karina, Karina Lam, I think is also in it. Yeah, so the cast is pretty, still pretty big, but it seems like it's going to be a completely different story because if you remember um, the end of White Storm, the first White Storm, and I'm not going to try and ruin anything, but I just say there's not much room for a sequel at the end of that movie. But yeah, so it, it sounds like... It's definitely a in-name movie sequel. And funny thing, I did at the um, and if I, I I did I said that I wouldn't be able to explain this on Twitter because of the Cantonese thing. But uh, so the, the Chinese title for White Storm is uh literally uh to brush away drugs because that's the that's the title we use the you know anti narcotics department or bureau in in Hong Kong. That's how they that's the Chinese name It's literally called brooming or brushing away drugs. It's literally like raiding drugs, right? Is to get rid of drugs. So at the press conference on Sunday, they had the stars hold a bunch of broom and they put a bunch of fake cocaine on the floor and, and the stars all had brooms. Are they sure it was fake? <laughs> I right, hope it was. Uh, I, I just found it it was like, guys, guys, I know movie marketing is hard, but like, that's a bit much, y'all. Like, seriously. I think, I think people get it. Yes, your movie name. Ooh, in action. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> But anyway, it's too bad they're going to dismantle the set because I mean, it's, it's just like the way they dismantle the tunnel set. Um, but, you know, there's nothing else going on at Kaitech Ferry Terminal. It's not like they're going to suddenly build something useful out there. Just keep the set for a little while. The set looks pretty cool. I mean, yeah, if you look closer. It looks kind of fake. But, yeah, inside it's a pretty impressive set.
0: All right, well, we look forward to more Herman Yao and Andy Lau goodness, uh, to be sure. So this is filming now, right? Um, so we could expect yes. it maybe early next year, later next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, considering Herman Yao speed, probably it will probably be out in two weeks. But no, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, I, I think early next year, if not next summer, uh, that's probably the time.
0: Our final news for this week, some news out of Toronto.
1: Yeah, so big week for festival announcements. Uh, Venice just announced their lineup. Uh, unfortunately, no huge Chinese film, but there is one. Um, and Toronto announced their first um, lineup of films because we're coming up to award season and we're coming up to film festival season that leads up to award season. Um, so a lot of big uh, announcements. And the. Toronto's first lineup uh, announcement, which has about 40 films, include Hidden Man, which is a new film by Zhang Wen, which is already out in China, um, but not anywhere else. So I think they're going to get international premiere or North America premiere. I'm not sure yet, but they're getting that film and also getting Zhang Yimou's new film Shadow. Um, the film is playing first at Venice Um out of competition so that was announced today and then it's going to travel to Canada uh, to Toronto a week later for the North American premiere which is pretty cool I mean uh, Shadow it's a film that stars Din Chow and his wife Sun Li and uh, at first initially there was rumor that it was a uh, uh, a romance of Three Kingdoms film but um, it seems like it's not quite it it's like a real psychological thriller actiony wuxia thing from the trailers um and the film comes out late september in the in china um not sure when hong kong because hong kong doesn't get much chinese films anymore uh at least the big ones um but yeah so it will be traveling around the film festival circuit before really before hitting cinemas uh in in china and i don't think a jang project is going to get the, the usual day and day release but it's a big-budget Zhang Yimou movie. So, yeah, eventually it'll hit a cinema somewhere in the United States, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, so big... Those are the two big announcements in terms of Chinese films. Um, more coming because uh, they only announced 40 films so far, and Toronto has a huge lineup of, like, 300 films. So let's see what's what else is coming up. Hopefully something I subtitled, perhaps. All
0: right. That's going to wrap it up for our news this week. When we come back after this short musical interlude... I'll be talking for our east screen film this week Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. <laughs> And welcome back so for our e-screen review this week we are turning to netflix with godzilla city on the edge of battle if you are not familiar with this title this is the second film in the trilogy of animated films under the godzilla intellectual property that are being developed uh, in by toho in in japan and but in conjunction with netflix these get a theatrical release in japan and about three months later they get international distribution on Netflix so this film premiered I believe if I have my date correct on May 17th uh, a few months ago and it was released in the theaters in Japan and now last week on uh, June 18th it was or July 18th excuse me it was dropped on Netflix so the uh, the first film which kind of set the stage for everything was not very well received by a lot of Godzilla fans. People called it very, very slow, a bit convoluted, and uh, you know, really taking its time to do the storytelling, to do the world building, but also the animation of uh, Godzilla himself was not great. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of uh, all of that sort of standing against the film, we go into this one with high hopes that now that they've gotten all that out of the way, we can get to some of the good stuff. It's coming from directors Kobun Shinzuno and Hiroyuki Sashita. These are guys who've worked primarily on um, some of the Detective Conan movies and, you know, other animated stuff. So they have a they have a history of animation and directing animation. I think they worked on the their studio worked on the Blame film as well. And so, as I talked about last time, in terms of the animation look and design, you can see some similarities. It's sort of 3D CGI animation that's done in anime cartoon render form. That already doesn't appeal to a lot of people who prefer maybe two-dimensional traditional anime and, of course, other fans who just want to see a live-action Godzilla movie. But I was intrigued and interested to see what they were going to do here. Uh, As we established last time, this is taking place in the far future after some 20,000 years where Godzilla has emerged defeated all of the existing kaiju and basically taken over the planet humanity along with two alien races the bilu saludo and the exif have banded together and fled into outer space but because of a lack of resources and the and their inability to find a hospitable planet they make the decision to try to return to earth um, but because of a transport malfunction And in their hyperdrive, somehow, they end up 20,000 years in the future. So it's kind of like a Planet of the Apes deal. And so upon returning to the Earth, they find that uh, the Earth has been terraformed drastically. It's got a poisonous, toxic environment. And this is because basically at the top of the food chain is Godzilla. And so the the world has kind of reshaped um, around him based on his genealogy, I guess. So that's established in the first film. This film picks up right after the events of the first film, where you have an initial battle with a Godzilla, only to find out that it's not the true Godzilla, and the true Godzilla emerges. After the defeat of the smaller kaiju and the emergence of an even larger Godzilla, the main character, Captain uh, Sakai Haruo, finds himself in the care of a girl named Miyana, who is part of an indigenous tribe, they find living on earth. Uh, this tribe is called the Hotua, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, and it's a surprise to them because they thought well, living here without exosuits was impossible, but they seem to be living underground below the level of toxicity uh, that exists above on the surface. So with this tribe, they find that the tribe uses strange metal arrowheads that can actually harm the smaller kaiju known as servums. And one of the Saludo aliens recognizes this metal as a form of nanometal that was used in the original creation of Mechagodzilla before they fled Earth. Now that Mechagodzilla was defeated and destroyed before he could be fully activated. So this girl uh, Miana and her twin Mina uh, escort the captain and his team to a domed city composed entirely of the same nanometal where it has propagated and continued to reproduce over thousands and thousands of years. Excited by the discovery of this existence of their original creation, the Billa Saluto members of the expedition develop a strategy to defeat Godzilla. But after 20,000 years, has Godzilla evolved to a point to where he can no longer be stopped? So that is the premise of this film, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. And it says it right there in the title. It's a city and there's a battle, (laughs) and it's on the city's edge, right? Uh, You can read into that literally, because that's pretty much all you're going to get in this film. This um, sequel, as I said, follows um, roughly six months after the first, and if that is a time indicator, that means we can get the final entry into this trilogy uh, about six months from now. It's due to get a theatrical release, the third film uh, in Japan. There's already... A Japanese title but I don't think they've solidified the English title for that release yet but it's something along the lines of the eater of planets or the eater devourer of stars uh, as the Japanese translates out um, for those who found the first entry boring but were expecting the second entry to pick up the pace I am sorry to tell you it does not um, this thing moves about as slowly as Godzilla does in these shows and he moves like a sumo wrestler on Valium I mean he really is just a a mountain that slowly plods along. He's not well animated. He has very little movement, very little activity, even for those few moments when he does show up on screen. The authors here, I think, are really in love with some of the deep science fiction concepts that they're trying to introduce. And these would be really interesting if they continued to develop them, but they don't. They just kind of introduce stuff and then they kind of go and do something else. so you have this whole subplot with the of aliens who created the nanometal coming back and wanting to basically use it to defeat Godzilla. But in order to do that, they have to basically become like the Borg, right? Um, it's sort of a collective hive mind thing where you get assimilated. And so the question of, is assimilation worth the price of victory? Um, that's a very interesting idea. And this idea that the nanometal itself could perhaps pose a bigger threat to the planet than actually Godzilla does. Another interesting idea that they introduced, but they never really develop it further than just introducing it. Um, they, there's, a, there's a lot of area to explore that I think they could take it in terms of the dialogue, in terms of some of the conceptual ideas that they're playing with. You know, it's you, you get kind of a head-scratching here about, you know, what is Toho really wanting to do with this franchise that's promising a lot but delivering Uh, Very, very little. The Hotua are obviously a stand-in for your traditional sort of Mothra tribe. Uh, You know, they've got telepathy. There are twin girls. They're not miniatures. They're not like the Cosmos girls. They don't sing. You don't get the Mothra song, but they worship a giant egg. Um, And so you get the idea. Still, no kaiju here. Um, Even Godzilla himself has only a few minutes of screen time, which is a travesty for a second film it's like okay you want to do the jaws thing uh you know don't show the monster until the very end fine for the first film but by the second film come on guys i mean we're looking at a title with big letters that says godzilla in the title we should see a lot more of him by this time um and he just does more of the same he walks he plods along in a straight line and is made to somehow be less interesting than he was in the last film. Uh, even the Godzilla and Shin Godzilla, with his dead fish eyes, I think is more interesting <laughs> than, and lively than this film's iteration, which is really a, a, you know, a testament to the failure of this. Because I'm, you know, I'm coming off of a stint of watching a lot of um, recent live-action, anime-based things, like the Gintama movie from last year, uh, recently got uh, to watch Psychic uh, Kusou, um, also based from anime. You know, and anime has the advantage in that it can do things so much more dynamically than you can in film, especially if you don't have a big budget, right? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Marvel or Star Wars level level budgets with a lot of these Japanese movies. So a lot of times when they take an anime, they have to tone down what they're doing in the live action because they just don't have the effects budget or the the means to pull it off visually. Anime can be so much more dynamic. So when you take something that's Originally done in a visual filmic medium, and you put it into anime form, and that that's boring, you know you've done something wrong. <laughs> you know you're not doing it right somehow. Um, so yeah, this is this is just really disappointing in terms of the visual aesthetic in, in moving it to this medium and how it's just so dull um, throughout so much of it. Even though you, you do get a f- you know a few Minimax fighting at the end of it against godzilla and you know that they're kind of infused a little bit with the the nanometal from mechagodzilla they're not they look more like little gundam wings than um, anything you've seen in a in sort of a kaiju movie before and it's also again not that interesting just these pilots zipping around and, and trying to lure godzilla in a trap which was the same plot from the first film um, and not a big kaiju in sight. You do have the Servum here, who are like these tiny little dinosaur-style monsters, and they're just not that interesting um, either. They, they don't fight against Godzilla. They just pose a threat to the humans in a few places because, again, they're tiny. There are whispers here of the big showdown to come in the third film, but, again, there were whispers of a showdown between Godzilla and a Mecha Godzilla in this film, and it's not a mechagodzilla it's a mechagodzilla city that godzilla's fighting against you know i don't know if i should trust whispers anymore about things to come you know things are going to be big and and bombastic in a a third film so maybe the third film will pay off but i'm just you know not excited anymore about this series the first film i was like okay they had to kind of you know establish the world building they had to kind of get us to this point so now things are going to take off in the second film. And when they didn't, now I'm just, I'm, I'm just not on the page anymore with, with this series, um, which is unfortunate because I am a huge Godzilla fan. So it's a shame that it's very dull. Um, it's not something that I can really recommend to, to people, um, especially if you're not a Godzilla fan because of that. Even for a Godzilla fan, I don't know if I'd say, you know, watch this. I'd say, go watch Shin Godzilla. <laughs> And that's something, because I don't really like <laughs> Shin Godzilla. But at least that had moments of interesting interactions between humans when Godzilla wasn't on the screen um, doing all the weird stuff that he does. You know, here, as a character driven piece rather than a kaiju driven piece, the lead character himself is just not that interesting. He's a very sort of stereotypical, anime esque, hard headed, you know, young, angry youth anime lead male character and he's got the traditional supportive um girl character who somehow is his sister but not really his sister or his cousin or they have a weird relationship but there's also a romantic relationship involved there um and you know again they allude to a potential romance between him and one of the uh, twins that it just you know it's none of this ever pays off In terms of character development, so if that's not paying off, and on top of that, you're not getting to see a lot of kaiju action, it just begs the question: what is this movie really trying to do? So yeah, as I said, as an anime, I think it just it it doesn't meet the standards that the genre can really do in terms of delivery, and it's it's almost the opposite. And it you know if you're I I would recommend if you haven't listened to them before, if you're a Godzilla fan, listen check out the Kaiju Transmissions podcast because they really do an in depth review, uh, spoiler filled review. If you, so be sure you watch it before you listen to them, but they talk about like the prequel books that came out for these, for this series. They talk about, again, um, some of the stuff they were doing in Japan at the, at the screening. They give a list of like all the kaiju in the first film that are briefly introduced in like this two minute narrative about, Oh, what happened? And it's just a list of like the greatest hits of Toho kaiju monsters um, one after the other, after the other, and how they're used. It's a it's a prequel. I don't think it's a prequel comic, but a prequel novel. Um, and it's, like, really interesting stuff. It's like, why didn't you do that for a movie? <laughs> why, did, you know, save this boring stuff for your prequel comics or your prequel books or or the stuff in between and, and give us that stuff. That's what fans want to see, I think, um, rather than this conceptual stuff, which could be interesting but never really delivers. So, again, sadly, hard to recommend. Um, The good point out of all of this is, like I said, in six months from now, this trilogy should be at its end. We'll be able to put a cap on it, and we'll only have a couple more months to wait for Godzilla King of Monsters (laughs) and hopefully get back to some better kaiju on kaiju action. Uh, Kevin, I know you're not a terrific Godzilla fan. Um, Is this something that uh,
1: has been on your radar at all? No, I had no idea this existed, um, and you know I like Shin Godzilla way more than you did, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> did. Um, I did not care for the U.S. Godzilla. I thought, why would you put call a movie Godzilla and have him fight in the dark with when people can barely see him? Um, yeah, it's cool for mood and stuff, but I did not like Gary Edwards Godzilla. Do not care for it much. Um, and I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the, 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 the way that Warner Brothers or whatever the, whoever is behind oh, a legendary, yeah, legendary, legendary yeah. monster universe. I'm not a big fan of what they're doing either. Like Kong Skull Island was okay. It was all right. I, I can, I can dig it, but, but it's not like, it's not going to get me on going, Oh, I got to catch the next film. I wonder what happens to Monarch. Who? <laughs> Who? Um, so. Jing Tan. No, no, Jing Tan. We got to find out what Jing-tian. happens to her, right? <laughs> Nothing. She survives the movie and does nothing. It's just fine. Zhang Ji, they have a much better Chinese actress coming in, and her name is Zhang Ziyi. And I think when Zhang Ji takes over, they'll be like Jing Hu. hu, hu? <laughs> Wait, who? Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I, and the way that you talk about the film, I'm probably not going to watch it either, Phil. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'd say your time would be better spent going and <clears throat> rewatching Shin Godzilla
1: again. Three times. It would be. <laughs> It would be because you know why? It's a great film.
0: We'll agree to dis- disagree on the greatness of it, but uh, <coughs> it's certainly a better, more entertaining film than uh, either of these have been so far. So uh, that is unfortunate. But we'll be back to talk at some point about the third one when it drops on Netflix. <laughs> We're back for our west screen review this week and this time mr ma is going to take the lead it's kind of a west screen review but it's got some east screen intentions i guess we would say with the
1: skyscraper yeah i would say this is diehard with chinese characteristics um <laughs> but yeah skyscraper is the latest film by director rossin marshall thurber who is best known for um Great action films like Dosh Ball, and Underdog Story, and Central Intelligence, which also starred The Rock. I'm kidding, those were not action films. I, I'm hoping everyone laughed. Um, so this is, I guess, his first attempt at like a serious action film. And of course, it stars The Rock, who also produced the film. The story, uh, former FBI hostage rescue team leader Will Sawyer. That was from official synopsis, so it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> Will Sawyer... After a, uh, an operation that uh, caused him to lose his leg, uh, Will Sawyer now assesses security for skyscrapers. On assignment in Hong Kong, he finds the tallest, safest building in the world suddenly ablaze, and he's been framed for it. A wanted man on the run, Will must find those responsible, clear his name, and somehow rescue his family who is trapped inside the building, dot dot dot, above the fire line. So, um, yes, this is essentially Die Hard with The Rock. Um, plus a little bit of Towering Inferno just for uh, the extra saltiness of it, I guess, just for a little tinge. Um, it's an absurd idea. Yeah, this, the building is called the Pearl, and it's like 200 stories tall. And if you look at, if you know, Hong Kong, it's very odd. It's built um, right next to the Cultural Center in Jim Trey, which means it that is a huge. Um, what do you call those things? Um, it's a huge block. For the air, that would go through Jordan Road and, you know, therefore, you know, it would kill the ventilation of the entire Gymside Train neighborhood. Um, but let's not talk about logic. Um, and forget about the absurdity of the idea for a second. I mean, it's about The Rock. He's, the first half of the movie, he's on the run. And then the way, and this is a scene that it's practically on the poster. It is not a spoiler. I know some people say it's spoiler, but it is not. He decides to climb up a uh, hundred... 100-story crane as if that, those exist in Hong Kong, they think that, oh, Hong Kong has such t- tall buildings. They must build everything else so tall. No, we do not have a 100-story crane here. Yeah, they, um, they should have put bamboo scaffolding up the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might as well have, right? They might as well have. Uh, so Remember, to rock the character, Will Sauer, he has a prosthetic leg um, and he climbs up this crane, 100-floor crane, in like Three minutes of screen time, and with the cops watching, and with helicopters flying around him, and remember he's got a he's got a you know he's got a head start. But let's face it, I mean like get a SWAT team in there, they didn't climb, they didn't probably grab him pretty quickly, right? No, he makes it all the way up the top, and then he runs. And he's a little head start, and then he runs, and then he leaps into the building, and that is already the first fifty minutes of the movie. Um, so yes, it's super absurd, and let's forget the absurdity idea for a second. It, it's ridiculous, but let's forget that for a second. Um, and let's think about why the Die Hard franchise has been so popular. I mean, imagine, remember, I mean, are you, are you a fan of uh, Die Hard, Paul? You're a fan of Die Hard, right? Yeah, everyone's the original, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everyone's a fan of Die Hard. Who, who, which guy isn't a fan of Die Hard? Um, so remember why Die Hard works so well. It's not because it's about Bruce Willis kicking ass. It's not about Bruce Willis killing terrorists. It's because it's about a guy who could get hurt. And about, it's about Underdog who defies the odds. He gets hurt. If you remember Die Hard, he gets hurt, like, walking through glass, and remember that scene in the bathroom where he's tearing out, taking out glass pieces from his foot? I mean, yeah, it hurts. Um, and he's flawed, and he, he, he's like an everyman, and, and it's not about physical um, physical weakness, it's not about mental... It, it, yeah, it's about physical weakness, but remember Die Hard 3, um, they kept that up. John McClane was an alcoholic, or he was drinking too much, he was hungover, he has a headache, Um, And he's tired and he's burned out. It's because we see this everyday sort of underdog guy who who defies the odds, but also uses smart and just it's just a plain tough guy. And it's not he's not a strong, tough guy. Let's face it. Bruce Willis. Yeah, muscly. But is he like The Rock? No, The Rock is practically like Superman, this movie. Like I was saying, he was, climbs up this crane in like five minutes, and then, and then the pros- even the prosthetic lake doesn't really stop him. The prosthetic link is supposed to be, like this 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 thing that that gives him a flaw, but not really because you know he is in the end still the Rock, and he knows the building super well, and he can jump, and he's super smart, and at one point he even like walks across like, rolling the, this rapidly turning turbine and do stuff, and he hangs off like 150 story building without like without even like blinking an eye he's a superhuman and and you know oh, the rock is gonna beat this guy because he's the rock right and he's not only the rock he's like super rock <laughs> he's like rock in superman mode um so there's not much pro, not much not much suspense here. also the villain is really weak the villain is some european eastern european guy with an accent he you know he puts the building on fire and he leads a bunch of guys. There's nothing menacing about this guy. It's not like the writer didn't even bother writing him anything good. Um, he's no Alan Rickman. Let's face it, the actor is no Alan Rickman, which is already a, we- a weakness going into the film, and the character is not even that well written. Um, his motivation is supposed to be mystery, which is a huge, bad, bad idea. Um, because um, Alan Rickman's mich- uh, uh, um, what was it? His intention was he's going to steal gold. He's going to steal gold from, from a vault, and that's it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, like, some hidden thing, I think, later on. Like, he wasn't just stealing money. It turns out he was stealing gold. I don't remember. They were pretending to be terrorists. Right.
0: And, and it what the what the twist was, they were actually just there to steal. They were just thieves. Yeah, the, the, yeah, The yeah, terrorist yeah. thing was a front to sort of get, um, I think, get the FBI and, and, you know, get everybody sort of off track and to, to use a different strategy to go after them. And then it turns out that, yeah, no, they're just there to rob the vault or something.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of cool, right? I mean, yeah, it turns out, yeah. Um, And Alec Rickman's a kick-ass actor. Whereas this guy, who I can't even name right now, he's not even much of a character by the time it's over. He's just a dude, Eastern European dude with a gun. Um, And those are always automatically scary, I guess. Um, So the film is set in Hong Kong, but the whole thing is shot in Vancouver, and it really shows. Uh, There's a scene where um, a character escapes from the fire escape of an apartment building um i guess those who don't live in um the u.s probably did i don't know if europe has fire escapes but fire escapes are like these metal metal staircases they're outside building and you really see them in like american apartment buildings i'm not sure i've seen them in the uk or anything like that uh they definitely do not exist in hong kong because you know why hong kong residential buildings are like 40 stories tall you do not build Metal staircase outside, like a forty-story building. I expect people to to escape from a fire yeah. through that. Right? And and most so of them,
0: most of them are spaced about six inches apart, so there's no exactly. space for one either.
1: Exactly. So so it, it looks like the rock climbs up a fire escape that doesn't exist in Hong Kong, and then he goes and rides down this one-way road with four lanes. <laughs> 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 that that has a blue screen, fake-ass Victoria Harbour behind it. I'm like, that is. Vancouver Harbor that is not Victoria Harbor <laughs> stop it um, and there's one point where like there, there's an elevated train that goes straight into the gym side train and I'm like that looks like a monorail Hong Kong does not have room for a monorail this is definitely not Hong Kong um, and um, they brought in these uh, Chinese actors I'm guessing Chinese American actors who all speak Cantonese and and the Cantonese dialogue you tell you can be a little bit so it's a bit it's a bit more accurate than usual um most of the time but the thing is the people who are saying it have clear cantonese accents like not like american like english accents in their chinese um and this is me as someone who has grown up with a lot of abcs and who knows who can hear what like you know flawed or or accented cantonese sound like it's very clear that most of those people like are not cantonese native cantonese speakers no matter how much swear words they put in there um and there's a scene where, so, so while while the um, while the uh, the rock is climbing the crane, um, the inspector, the inspector played by Byron Bar- Man, who is actually from Hong Kong, he says, um, he's supposed to say, the English dialogue says, I want to talk to this guy, get him down here, I want to talk to this guy, right? But the thing is, I want to talk to this guy sounds a bit sarca- sarcastic, like, well, first of all, it's weird that this dude is climbing a crane, and then you ask your underling to go, um, I want to talk to this guy who's climbing an 80-story 80, 80 crane. Get me down. Get him down here. I'm going to talk to him. Uh, sir, he's climbing a 100-story crane. He's not coming down. Uh, but he says, yeah, I want to talk to this guy. But when it comes to Cantonese, it sounds like he wants to just talk to, like, a restaurant manager <laughs> instead <laughs> of a suspected terrorist who had just set fire to a building. <laughs> so the 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 translation is 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 right in principle but it sounds really weird in in this film or in the in the context of the scene i like he's like the way he's saying is like i want to talk to this guy like it's almost like walks up i want to talk to your manager like not even i want to talk to your manager it's more like um i want to hear i want to ask you about your lunch specials kind of tone (laughs) really odd um and the movie has Chinese funding. I think it's co-funded by Legendary or Wanda, whatever. Yeah, I think it's Legendary. That it means automatically the film has Chinese funding, which means they're relying a lot on the Chinese market. And hopefully that means Hong Kong as well. Your movie costs $125 million US dollars. So shouldn't that mean that you can spend some of that money on getting a post-production guy from Hong Kong to make sure that all the Chinese stuff checks out? Like Because there's a bunch of scenes of Chinese news and it looks really weird because the Chinese texts are weird the chinese news anchor says we're chinese as well um you could have just hired a former tvb anchors there are a lot of them out there they are working in the private sector well tvb is a private sector but i'm just saying a lot of them who are not working at tvb anymore who are like i'm not saying they're free but you paid them enough money they can fly to canada and and do a walk-on spot in fact some of these former anchors actually act um um, I can't name names, but there are a few who actually do take acting jobs. Like, um, there's one that was in Cold War II that was a former TVB anchor. There's a, a male anchor who was a sports anchor, and he does a, even, like, proper acting. Like, he was in Sarah uh, as um, as Charlene Choi's boyfriend. So you have these professional news anchors who are acting, and you could have just, you know, flew those, flew those guys over instead of trying to give The Rock a bigger back-end deal. Um, and they didn't even spend the money for that. Um, so like I said, the only Hong Kong actor in the film is Byron Mann, uh, who claimed uh, on SCMP that he retooled the Cantonese dialogue for the film. In fact, he even convinced the director to use Cantonese instead of Mandarin. So, OK, it's pretty decent. I mean, his his lines are decent, except for the I want to talk to this guy line. Um, but like I said, the flaw, if the flaws are already showing after he retooled the dialogue, imagine how bad this was going to be. Imagine how little that crew or that those filmmakers cared about getting things right um and the person who ended up speaking the best chinese was ching han the singaporean actor who plays the the billionaire who owns the building he's singaporean and you remember him as a bad guy and uh or one of the bad guys in the dark knight the one who was not joker <laughs> nor the one who was the one who was not 2 Face. um yeah the one who got who got like fished out of hong kong by batman um in which in that movie by the way he, I think he was actually in Hong Kong. So Chin Ha was in Hong Kong for The Dark Knight, but he didn't even st- set foot in Hong Kong for Skyscraper, which is entirely set in Hong Kong. But anyway, he spoke the best Chinese because he spoke Mandarin in the film, and he's Singaporean, so he speaks Mandarin. It's fine. Um, and he defined the film. He had way more to do than I initially expected, and he was fine the film. Um, but one thing that really pissed me off was that at one point, so the cops decided to open uh, a search engine to look up something, and then the first thing they opened was... Baidu search, Baidu search. I mean, cops in Hong Kong using Baidu. Screw this movie, man. Seriously, I was in Hong Kong watching the film, and it was a it was a pretty full. It was like a seventy percent, sixty percent full. So it earned laughs in my screening. But it, uh, my friend said when he went to watch the film. Um, It was like a normal screening, you know, not even like a press thing, not even like a media thing, whatever. He just went to a regular screening. He said there was a collective boo from the audience in Hong Kong when Baidu popped up. That's how much bad, bad, what's the opposite of goodwill? That's how much bad karma you have drawn from the Hong Kong audience. Baidu, man? So perhaps for
0: audiences that are not familiar, Baidu is a mainland search engine, right?
1: Yes, it's a mainline search engine, and obviously they also have their own sort of Wikipedia like baidu or something like that. Um, so Baidu is like China's biggest search engine, but no sane Hong Konger would look at a search engine from a country that has a great firewall. It's not exactly get you the most comprehensive res- uh, results, right? So it, it was just that, that... I mean, I think that it's a product placement. I'm sure it's a product placement. Um, I'm 90% sure it's a product placement, so they can't help it, but that I'm sure that the same thing happened in tai- Taiwan, probably. You know, they don't really have any love for, for, for Baidu search over there in Taiwan either. So I'm sure that probably earned lots of laughs. Um, I don't mind a stupid action film once in a while, and I love Die Hard. I even like Die Hard 2. Well, okay, Die Hard 3. Um, I like two of the Die Hard movies, um, and I like my share of dumb action movies. I even kind of like Central Intelligence, and I thought. Uh, dodgeball was awesome but this, is, this isn't this is even that fun or good you know it's forget good forget stupid it's just sort of like oh that's it Like, oh okay it was nothing new the ending by the way there's this whole, whole room of hall of mirrors like that totally tries to do uh, enter the dragon which is like why even bother what's the point it's not a martial arts movie the rock doesn't do martial arts um, it's a really stupid way of paying homage to hong kong cinema if the only hong kong cinema you watch is Freaking Ender the Dragon. Um really should watch something else. Um fake Hong Kong skyscraper is really an interesting curiosity, but like I said earlier, that thing would never have been approved to be built at that location. Seriously. Um if the yes, the Hong even the Hong Kong government might come to a sense and go, yeah guys could you build it like a bit to the west like out there west Kowloon? you know east Kowloon, nothing going on over there why right in the middle of my like our 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 tourist friendly skyline it just doesn't make any sense um also i think we're getting a bit of over saturation of the rock i mean he's already have two big movies out this year so rampage and skyscraper so are we hitting like a a rock-tuation Rock, rock, shoot, rock, ten over saturation. You can, you get it, you get it. Um, I, I think I can do a rockless movie for a while. Um, I forget when his next movie is. I'm sure he has another movie or two upcoming this year. Um, but I, I think I'm done with the rock for a little bit. Um, or at least something radically different. Like, do something that is essentially not a version of yourself. You, you, you know, the rock is trying to sell himself as a, as a, as a sort of a great action hero. Uh, uh, everyday kind of guy a buddy kind of beer with and blah blah but you know you're an actor man or at least you're trying to be an actor man i mean you're in wwe you're an actor man um dude let's let's try something else let's find a, a better director instead of working the same guys every time this is already like your, your second or third film with the same director and then brad brad payton who who did um uh rampage you already did like four films of him Let, let's let's try some other guys all right let's try some other guys um So yeah, I'm done with The Rock for a while, and Skyscraper, I'm definitely done with Skyscraper.
0: I I think I like this a little bit more than you did, um, just in terms of sort of the mindless summer fun movie that you can sit, watch, and enjoy. Um, I think in terms of the two films he's done this year, so you had uh, Rampage a couple months ago, and now this, I liked Rampage a lot more than this one. Uh, this one's disappointing for Hong Kong cinema fans just by the sole fact that it's pretending to be Hong Kong, but it's not really in Hong Kong. <laughs> and there was there's there was a massive opportunity here to sort of bridge the two worlds. I mean, imagine and and don't get me wrong, I love um, Byron Mann. He's really good in this for what he's given to do. He's in um, the Netflix series Altered Carbon. He has a r- short but good turn in that, and I mean, he was great. And I'm glad he got the opportunity to be in this. But imagine if they would put, you know, Andy Lau in that role or, you know, uh, Simon Yam or somebody, you know, who's established firmly in in Hong Kong cinema as a a big name. Right. Uh, Big, big opportunity, missed opportunity there uh, that I think they could have capitalized on. But I think you put your finger on it. $125 $125 million, but a big portion of that is, you know, The Rock. And he's in the position right now where he's he's the biggest, I think he's one of the biggest names in Hollywood in terms of salary. Uh, he's in that position that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in for a while, where he's just doing movie after movie and after movie, and he's making money, hand over fist. And if he can do that, more power to him. It's great. I like The Rock, even though he's just The Rock. I mean, if you look at this, if you look at Rampage, he's, you know, he's not stretching by any way, shape, or form. He's just doing what he does. He has this heroic rock image that he wants to input into his characters, and he doesn't want to deviate from that because that's the image that sells well right now. I would be interested to see, in you know, another decade as he starts to age out of this a little bit and maybe he takes on some more mature roles. Um... And does, you know, something a little bit different. I, I'd like to see that. But for now, I'm okay seeing him and stuff like this. I'd rather see him than other people. I mean, I enjoy seeing his presence on screen a bit more than, say, Jason Statham, who we'll see in uh, a month or so in the, what is it, the Meg. And I was, you know, I was watching this with my dad. And I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of rather see the rock in the Meg than this. You know, the rock finding a giant Megalodon shark than Jason Statham would appeal to me a little bit more. But that's just me. I mean, I know he doesn't. He doesn't work for a lot of people. I'm not a WWE guy. I know he came from wrestling. I don't watch wrestling. And, you know, he's he's paid his dues, you know, he back during being the bad guy in the Mummy movies and the Scorpion King and, and stuff like that. So I'm glad that he's gotten to this point to where he can just, you know, roll these things out. And some will be fun and entertaining and some will be throwaway and forgettable. And he's still a big presence with uh, Disney stuff too. So he, you know, tries to do family-friendly um, Disney-oriented movies from time to time, and I kind of appreciate that as well. But, yeah, this was disappointing because, again, it's not Hong Kong. You know, it's like this weird kind of alternate Photoshopped Hong Kong, right? Um, and by that standard, it's interesting as a ex-Hong Konger, I guess, to to look and, and see these goofs and see these mistakes that the average Hollywood moviegoer is... Not going to notice at all. It's not going to phase them at all. They're not going to be like, "Oh, that's not Hong Kong." So for us, we're kind of in a special place to to point and laugh and and comment on this. And it would have been great to watch this in the Dynasty uh, with the crew to just sit there and and kind of eviscerate it. But um, for I think for the average moviegoer, that's not going to be an issue. They're going to see this. It's going to be a location piece. Oh, it's Hong Kong. It's a little bit exotic, and you know, look, it's a huge building. The building size. Whoever designed it, I mean, you know, again, we're talking science fiction here, people, um, near future science fiction, perhaps with some of the stuff and a little bit further afield with others like the, the glass It's basically the, the, the big pearl at the top is this viewing room that becomes completely transparent through the use of high, super high definition screens. I think they were talking like 8K or, or 16K or something. Uh, so beyond what we have right now but it's basically if you've seen like uh, any of the Gundam stuff where the Gundam frame basically disappears around the pilot um, and they have like a full what is it 360 degree all directional view around them it's basically that kind of effect um so you're like high up in the, you know above Hong Kong and you can see around but then as Kevin mentioned they've got these not really mirrors they're these display screens that act like mirrors that come up and so yeah they're It's a kind of riff on the old Enter the Dragon final fight scene, and it's a little bit more digitally and technologically oriented, but it's still a Hall of Mirrors kind of thing that they're going for. So that was all fine, and The Rock doing his physics-defying leap. I know that when the—was it the trailer or one of the posters came out initially for this um, months back? People were looking at the angle of the arc— that the rock had leaping off of the the crane onto the building, and they were, like, showing all these mathematical formulas about how it was so wrong. And it's like, yeah, okay, we're in, you know, I know where we're going with this well before I I get to sit down and and see it. So uh, a lot to pick apart, but still, if you can kind of just get on board with the action, um, uh, it's fine. We, you know, Nev Campbell's here who you haven't probably seen in a while. She's fine as, as the wife and the mom, she's got some stuff to do. She's not just somebody who desperately needs to be rescued by her husband. She has, you know, skills of her own that come into play, which is, is good. And, um, you know, the, the idea of this all taking place in in, in this tower, you're going to see a lot of the same tropes you've seen before. The one movie that, aside from Die Hard, the one that flashed into my mind was the more recent one from Korea. What was that, Kevin? The Tower? The Tower. You know? Yeah. And so a lot of the same kind of ideas. It's supposed to be this thing that's complete, completely fail-proof and and safe. And, of course, that turns out not to be because there's a conspiracy to to do whatever. And so, the, you know, ultimately the systems fail and you've got to figure out a way to work through the system. So all of that, all of those tropes are kind of here. You know, it's just a big summer movie, and uh, I thought it was okay. Uh, It would have been better had they actually filmed it in Hong Kong, I think. Um, Although the Pearl itself, it's just so out of proportion with all the rest of Hong Kong when you see it in kind of that wide shot. It's like, really? They could have made it a little smaller, maybe. (laughs) It might have been, uh, uh, you know, just a little bit more... Pleasing compositionally, I don't know. It just looked really weird um, as this kind of giant needle sticking up into the sky. A couple notes I have: in when they were doing the promo for this movie on Good Morning America, which is sort of a morning entertainment show here in the U.S., even though the actors, the Nev Campbell and and the, the Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, did not film in Hong Kong, they actually went to Hong Kong for the promotion. Um, they were doing red carpet events. I think a couple weeks ago. Um, right before the film came out Good Morning America, one of the correspondents followed along and so you get to see The Rock going around and like making hand-pressed noodles or dumplings or something and then uh, Nev Campbell actually gets to fly over Hong Kong Harbor in a helicopter piloted by none other than the captain of the Airways of Love, uh, Mr. Michael Wong right? (laughs) Yeah, he didn't
1: get a shot of his face he was like, he had a line in there and then you hear that voice and you're like yeah, hey, wait a minute! I know that's, who that is. That's Michael. Um, so yeah, it's. I'll
0: post that. I, I posted that up on the Facebook page and on uh, Twitter, and I'll post it in the show notes too if you haven't seen it. It's a fun little, you know, it's like a six or seven minute segment, and it's just funny to think that old you know, Michael Wong, he's there being the helicopter chauffeur. They couldn't even get him a get him a little walk on in 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 the movie, which is unfortunate. Um, but there you have it. A little bit of a you know, trivia and fun stuff for us Hong Kong film fans. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Dubor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com. And the Hong Kong Movie Database, we also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. Uh, Listeners like Peter from Canada, who sent us a few puns regarding the movie Azura. Um, He says, it sounds like a lot of financing disappeared up the Azura hole. (laughs) That's (laughs) a good one. He also says, uh, I hope that Karina Lau and Tony Lung got their money up front rather than taking assurances of points on the net. So, thank Peter for his input on that. And hopefully, as I said, I'm interested now more so than I was before to watch uh, this disaster, as it were. Uh, so, hopefully, it will come out to someplace near us, maybe a Netflix or maybe a video release in the not too distant future. I'd like to see the non-edited version myself i I, you know uh, i I always hate it when directors say well we're going to go back and and you know create a director's cut or patch things together i mean okay fine but give me the original cut to compare um but i don't know if i'll actually get that opportunity um kevin you didn't see azure right you didn't like go up to shenzhen to watch it or anything hell no
1: (laughs) hell no I, i did you're not, not enough hours in the day, man. Like Not even now. I, I got a huge stack of unwatched films. I had too many hours in the day. There's not, not enough hours in the day for me to watch a movie like that. And the movie's 140 minutes. No way. No, mm-hmm. no, no. no, no mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you again to Peter for writing in. And if you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at EastSWestS. As always, I urge you to follow with Kevin in all that he's doing, whether it's This Is CNN International, or the other stuff that he does um, as he moves <laughs> and shakes across the film universe. So, sir, where can they find out more about you?
1: <laughs> I'm the entertainment editor of Discovery Magazine and Silk Road Magazine on uh, Cathay Pacific Airways and Cathay Dragon. Um, it's August by the time this show will go up, I think, or in a couple of days, so uh, you uh, in I write about oh gosh what do I write about in the August issue it, in my mind is a complete blank Paul like I'm not even kidding at this moment um, I write about a bunch of movies in August <laughs> and, yes. I, and I wrote about a, uh, a, Korean, a Korean reality show uh, for mm-hmm. TV column uh, I remember that at least but Oh my gosh, I don't remember what I wrote about. But anyway, I wrote a bunch of stuff, and you can read those on the magazine. Uh, you can read those on the magazine uh, in August. They'll be on board in August. Uh, I am on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Um, I have a website called Asia and Cinema. That now that you know, people are asking me questions by finding me on that website. I hope that you update it soon, um, sometime. Hopefully this year. Probably next year, but not this year. Um, <laughs> but I have it anyway. Um, the Twitter account that is Asia and Cinema, and Facebook also Asia and Cinema. You can also um, contact me. That I check much more often than I check the website. Um, that's Kevin at Asia and Cinema dot com. Again, Kevin at Asia and dot com, and uh, yeah, that's it. All right, excellent. And please do check out our
0: friends over at the Podcast on Fire Network as well and all the good work that they are doing. And speaking of podcast on Fire Network, I should on our next episode be joined by Mr. Kenny B himself for another episode in the Hollywood on Hong Kong series We where we are looking at the French film uh, Up to His Ears from 1965. So we'll be talking about that. For our next East Screen, West Screen episode proper, um, which uh, should be coming... I'm not sure when it's coming because I hope to talk about... The new Detective D movie, uh, which has a release date of this Friday in the United States, but I have not gotten any alert updates that it will be playing in Miami. So I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to see it or not, because I usually by Wednesday of the week of a movie's release, uh, Fandango will let me know if it's coming or not. So I'm a bit skeptical that I may actually get to see this until it hits video, which disappoints me because I really wanted to watch it. But i think uh that might be what mr ma will be talking about next time if you get out to see that right well you know what it's not coming
1: until september in hong kong (laughs) say say what now it's not it's not coming until september (laughs) i checked the release date it's not
0: coming until september so this may be incorrect on fandango then
1: No, No, no no it's opening this friday in china
0: oh it is it's opening
1: this friday in china it's opening in the uk and the u.s in in china but hong kong is not getting it until september <laughs> wow why is that <laughs> yep they switched distributors apparently and they decided that um a mandarin detective d movie which did not do well last time hmm. um will not go well up against I'm, I'm just speculating here that it will not go up against uh uh, uh other other movies hmm. or other other Hollywood movies so this Flat out decide to push it to September.
0: Well, uh, then we may not be talking about that next time. <laughs> 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 if I don't get to see it and Kevin doesn't get to see it till September, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we'll be talking about then. That's that's really weird um, because I would have thought that uh, with uh, Tsui Hark attached, at least in some capacity, that would have gotten some play. I guess if, you know. Well, it's
1: getting play. Is this getting played two months late? Two months late, think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you would think, Trey Hark, okay, yeah, I'll give a couple of weeks delay, maybe a month, but no, we're not getting it until September. Uh, unfortunately, the film that's coming out next week, Man on the Dragon, I won't be talking about that because I worked on the subtitle, so I don't mm. want to give a review to that. Right. But I would I would happily talk about winners, and then the week after that, I can talk about Along the Gods Part 2, which is coming out um, on the uh, the 9th, but I'm watching it
0: on the 1st. Oh, It's scheduled here for a release date on the 1st too, but again, another one, I'm not sure if if, uh, it's going to be playing near me. I'm hoping it is, because I really want to see it. I saw the first one and really liked it, so looking forward Mm -hmm. to that. So, uh, we'll have something on the next episode to be sure, just not sure what it's going to be. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll be keeping you updated on what that is, though, over on the Facebook feed. So check us out there. All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green West Green Podcast saying, as always, we wish you good viewing, even if you're in a tall, burning building that's not in Hong Kong. And we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time, everybody. Uh-huh.